Hey guys, welcome back to Modified Lifestyle. I am your host, Andrew. It's your boy, Ranch. And today, we got yet another creation from Hennessy Performance. This time around, they are announcing the new Velociraptor V8 Bronco. Yeah, Hennessy's actually coming very clutch lately. I know uh, them and Shell V obviously go back and forth, right? Creating crazy stuff when it comes to like V8s and like Mustangs and everything. I think Hennessy's kind of ahead of the curb right now because they, they're they releasing stuff ultra quick, right? Like Shelby is obviously really focused on quality uh, builds. And I feel like Hennessy is really bringing out stuff that a lot of people really, really want. Yeah, we've definitely seen them kind of outperforming the market, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Because, you know, a lot of people in the market right now, they want power. They want V8 yeah. raw power. But because of like the changing trends, and you know, a lot of people are going higher efficiency cars right. and vehicles, all that kind of stuff. You know, we're seeing the push towards V6 motors, you know, turboed motors to reduce the emissions and if it, increase the efficiency of mm-hmm. the cars themselves. Yeah. But in turn, you know, you do lose a lot of raw power by doing that. Right. So, you know, Hennessy, they've really been going above and beyond by introducing these kind of like upgrade kits but i think most of the cars they actually sell them as standalone built cars right so i know this year we've talked about you know the the ram trx with like i think it was like 1200 horsepower or something like that yeah and of course the recently announced durango hellcat mm-hmm. which was like a thousand horsepower yeah so you know I think Hennessy really gets to market. You know, a lot of people in the market, they want high performance vehicles, even though the general trend of cars right now is going towards higher efficiency models. Right. And I think this is entirely for car enthusiasts, right? No one actually looks at the engine except for us. A lot of the people are even switching over to electric cars for a reason, right? More efficiency. They're better on the road. Quiet as well, right? We are opposite. We, We don't care about gas. We want to hear a rumble in the engine, obviously, and we want to go fast. And I think that's the diff- main difference between uh, enthusiasts and like the general public. We really want to see something, you know, crazy coming out from all these manufacturers. And I think Hennessy is really taking on that challenge. Yeah, exactly. And I think Hennessy, they're really growing as a performance and tune-in company. By releasing all these cars t- kind of tailored to car enthusiasts mm-hmm. and, you know, people like us who really care about the vehicle performance and, you know, the capabilities and all that kind of stuff. Right. And, you know, they're doing a really good job as for marketing these kind of stuff, too, because, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people modify these cars to kind of get to the end goal of what Hennessy is doing. But to be able to purchase a car from a company with all those modifications already done to it and also have a warranty on it, too, is a huge advantage. Yeah, it most definitely is. I mean, a lot of people don't really like touching the cars in terms of when it comes mechanically. Obviously, we do like little uh, exterior mods, right? But when it comes to the engine, you definitely do not want to mess with it. But I think it's really important, right, uh, to what you said. Uh, A lot of people are really focusing now on buying a car that already comes with enough performance. Uh, That's why we've seen people really take on the stance culture, right? Because... A lot of the cars that they end up modding already has enough power for the daily use, right? We're not going to be racing it every single day. We're, we're not really going to be abusing it. Our main goal is to make it look nice. And I think that's where the stance culture really comes into this, right? Uh, we really want to get a car that already has all the power in there. So all the bells and whistles. So we don't actually have to touch the engine, right? Because, I mean, we I've experienced it. Whenever I touch anything in terms of the engine, it always breaks, right? So... 
I personally agree with this. And I mean, you can probably attest to this as well. Yeah. And when it comes to off-road and vehicles, like especially with cars like the Bronco, we don't see a lot of high performance models come out from them. You know, mm-hmm. we've talked about in the past how Jeep has been testing the Wrangler with an SRT I think it was a 392 motor yep. in those. So mm-hmm. that's kind of like the first first of its kind that we've seen. Um, I think for the Bronco, it's really a big deal because this car has been highly anticipated mm-hmm. among all car enthusiasts. You know, we haven't seen a Bronco in, I think, probably decades now, yeah. right? Yeah. And this new Bronco, it really kind of broke the internet when it was right. announced that they're going to be rebuilding it, reviving the brand. Yeah. And it drove a lot of hype around right. Ford, right? right? And I don't think we've, we haven't really seen this kind of hype for Ford in a while, I think since like the, maybe the Ford GT, yeah. when they kind of revived that. Yeah, I, I think the main thing that uh, manufacturers have figured out is us, you know, not even car enthusiasts, us in general, we really like the old designing, right? Very simple, very, you know, elegant. And really, they really didn't need to touch anything on these cars, like similar to the Ford GT. Obviously, it's a more modern version. But in terms of styling, they've kept a lot of the the features from the old cars, right? Um, and similar to this, even right, the Bronco, uh, they've done the same thing. They've kept the same front, almost uh, s- similar with the back. And obviously, they've they've kept it the same concept, right? They obviously kept very keen features that you know we've seen in the past Bronco, and I think that's very key, and that's why it's very hyped, and a lot of people loved when the, this Bronco came out because it reminded of, them of the older versions. All right, so get, to get into more exciting things, mm-hmm. so the motor that's in this new Bronco, it's actually the same motor that they've been using in the Raptor upgrade models, so the right. Velociraptor. Mm-hmm. It's a 5-liter V8 supercharged motor that produces 750 horsepower, and right. it goes 0 to 60 in 4.5 seconds. Right. And I think they're using a 10-speed, right? Yeah, and it's the same 10-speed uh, for transmission. So with that, they're also adding uh, custom hood scoops, uh, larger wheels and tires, and upgraded suspension. And I, I think this is very keen for uh, what the uh, the Bronco essentially is. It's an off-roading vehicle. Uh, so it kind of makes sense why they're going in that direction. This one, they're not going crazy on performance. Obviously, they've added the V8, but that's kind of what people already wanted in the car. So they're kind of giving them what, you know, what it deserves, essentially. But I think that adding these little things where like suspension, um, tire, bigger tires, uh, that's really what people want in terms of off-roading vehicles right and i can really see see this selling really well if they decide to mass produce it because it's essentially what really enthusiasts want yeah so visually it's very subtle Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of subtle modifications Uh, just looking at the picture on their website it actually looks like it kind of has more of like a retro look to it yeah it has like this nice custom livery with like the velociraptor logo on it and also like the front grille like i think the regular Broncos, it just says Bronco, but on the Hennessy version, it says Hennessy on it too, yeah. which is really nice. It's really subtle, mm-hmm. but it kind of stands out in its own way. So speaking about how many they're actually building, uh, they're only going to be building 24 units of the, of this vehicle in 2021 model. So that's not that much. And I think the price tag kind of really appreciated appreciates that limit. The list price is $225,000. And you'll be able to configure it in either the two-door or four-door version. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that price also includes, like, the full cost of the vehicle. So you could purchase the Velociraptor V8 Bronco directly from Hennessy with all the modifications done, ready to go. Yeah. Which is great, especially for an off-roading car like this. I think this is what people really want to see. Yeah. You know, a big V8 motor in the Bronco. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of throws it back to its heritage. 
where yeah. it started. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can definitely see it in the truck. Uh, I mean, it's very iconic. Um, I think they went for the iconic designing and they're really taking advantage with this pricing as well. I mean, it's obviously very heavily priced, but we've actually seen the similar pricing with any other vehicle out there. That's very, you know, exclusive. Uh, so it, the pricing, the price tag obviously makes sense. And anyone that knows what they're buying will actually purchase this. So on to our next topic, we're going to discuss this R34 Nissan Skyline GTR, which is almost $500,000. All right, so I saw this and I wasn't that surprised because, you know, the price of the Skyline has been going up like substantially yeah. um, over the past couple of years. And, you know, I've seen like, I randomly check online and I see like stock GTRs for like 100K or something, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not really surprised by the price tag of this one. But what blows me away is that this thing has 362 kilometers on it. Original kilometers. Which is crazy, right? I mean, we drive like almost 400 kilometers a week, right? So seeing this car only drove 362 kilometers in its entire life, that is crazy. Yeah, honestly, it blew my mind because this car, it's its the 2002. So yeah. this is like 18-year-old car yeah. with 362 kilometers on it. Yeah, It's just ridiculous. I've never seen, like I've seen low kilometer cars go for really high price tags, but I've never seen like any other car that had mm -hmm. this low of kilometers. Like this is like showroom kilometers. You know, they, they literally drive it, you know, a couple times around the block or whatever. This is the kind of kilometers you get on a showroom car. Right. And the fact that it's 18 years old and it still has that many kilometers, yeah. it's kind of crazy if you think about it. So I think the real big selling point for this car and the reason why the price tag is super high, obviously the kilometers is one, but I think the second point is it comes in millennium jade green, right? Which first of all, it's super rare as it is. But then this is also a, a Spec V Nurburgring edition, which makes it, even more rare and i think that's why the price tag is what it is right uh it's it's obviously super rare it's obviously not driven like hardly driven but yeah it's kept like it's it's a little baby yeah when i saw that it was a, a spec v2 yeah. i instantly fell in love with it yeah because this car it's ridiculously rare like i remember reading about this car maybe a couple years ago yeah and like these cars there's very very few of them left in the world yeah because a lot of people when they released this car i think this was like the final version of the r34 gtr yeah and this car was named after the nurburgring racetrack which is actually where a lot of the development was taking place on the r34 gtr yeah uh and for anyone that doesn't know what the nurburgring i mean i'm pretty sure a lot of people that listen to our podcast know but in case you don't uh it's one of the most historic laps out there and a lot of cars especially for racing go there to test out the cars to see if they can actually handle it right and that's the reason why this is so historic because obviously the gtr was tested on it and this specific you know model they only made 700 of them and that kind of explains why it's so historic because it's very limited amount that were actually made to actually to handle the nurburgring in the final year production nissan made so this version the gtr v-spec 2 nur and they also made the m-spec nur in total, there were a thousand units of these cars, and essentially, they're the last R34 GTR ever built, right? So that kind of explains why the price tag is so high and why these cars are so rare in the first place. Like we see a lot of people mod GTRs to make over a thousand horsepower easily, right? It's a very popular tuner car. It's a very popular race car, drag car, all that kind of stuff. But like a car like this, it's gonna sit. This is like a collector's car. You know, you don't mod this, you don't drive it. It's a collector's car to keep 
in its original state mm-hmm. and you know to kind of protect for the rest of its life yeah and like i was watching the video that's actually available about this this particular car and the owner of this car actually just took it to get maintenance and that's it right like you only drive like a couple of kilometers like every once in a year but when he was actually putting this car on sale uh, he only drove it uh, he drove it 100 kilometers there's reason why it's even at this uh, these many kilometers now it was just to you know because he was selling the car uh, he decided to you know enjoy it for the last time right which is kind of cool right i mean obviously it's a collector's car but it's really cool to see that even at that stage he just wanted to enjoy it so i'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with the r34 gtr just to run through some of the specs it has an original manual transmission in it which is huge you know i, I know a lot of gtrs come with it but like to get a manual transmission these days is like super rare yeah so the fact that it has it it makes it even more valuable yeah um it also comes with the rb26 twin turbo motor yeah uh, which is rated at 330 horsepower yeah. and i think in japan they actually marketed it as having less power yeah because of the trends at that time you know a lot of people were make a lot of manufacturers were making these high performance cars but they didn't want to market it as high performance cars because at that time in japan where having a high performance car really wasn't the norm yeah, that's very true. This car is available, so anyone that wants to purchase it, go for it. It's almost, it's listed at five hundred thousand dollars, but according to the seller, it's negotiable. Uh, I don't know how much th- that's true, but you know, if, if you have five hundred thousand dollars laying around and you want to buy an, a mint GTR as a collector car, go for it. I wouldn't say the price is reasonable, yeah. um, especially for the condition of the car, even though it's in like literally perfect condition like looking at pictures there's still like plastics on the seats yeah right and you know they say that it still has that new car smell and all that kind of stuff yeah so honestly this car is beautiful in its own way you know all the factory options you know the fact that it's in completely perfect condition you know it's bone stock it's the spec v2 super rare options with the manual transmission and the rb26 motor i don't know if it's worth the 500k but whoever purchases this i'm sure it'll be a great purchase and a perfect car to add to your collection yeah most definitely and i think that's that's essentially what this is right it's a it's a beautiful collector's car and i mean the price kind of speaks for itself we've seen a lot of american cars go for even more expensive than this right like the original four gts original camaros but yeah i think this is the new generation of jdm collectors right a lot of people uh, weren't really into it because i mean we're in north america right not a lot of people are into that collecting jdm cars uh, but i think we're seeing a huge trend now in uh, collecting a lot of jdm cars a lot of them are kind of getting to the point where they're unaffordable right like even the 2jz supra fdrx7s gtrs and chasers even right like those are like four-door sedans and those are even getting out of price and out of reach yeah we've definitely seen like the prices in these old school jdm cars rise like substantially i think one of the most popular is like the gtr like we just talked about Mm -hmm. and obviously the mark IV supra just because of i guess the legacy that it has and because you know those cars were kind of overbuilt yeah when they were first introduced right like the r34 gtr it had technology that we've never seen in any kind of sports car out there right especially with the tuning capabilities of those engines even to date i don't think we've seen a car with that much capabilities right, right? like aftermarket capabilities yeah right? and i i think that's the main selling point for the, uh, the jdm cars right like they sort of because they were all from japan they all did the same thing to be competitive with with each other right and i think 
a lot of them really thought it out pretty well. Obviously, Nissan decided to go with all-wheel drive, and FD went the rotary route, and obviously, the uh, Toyota went 2JZ, right? One of the most legendary motors out there. But in general, they all built a, the cars to outperform each other, right? And I think that's the, the main thing when, when you look at people buy, that buy these JDM cars. They actually want something that's, you know, historic, has value to it, right? They want to buy a piece of Japan, essentially, right? That's why we see a lot of people importing right-hand drives nowadays and even cherishing left-hand drives and uh, keeping them as stock as possible or like modding them to the most extreme, right? Whichever route anyone decides to go. And I think the prices can explain itself, right? I mean, supply and demand, right? There's so much demand for these JDM cars that the price just keeps skyrocketing every single year. Like I remember a GTR, when we were first looking like an R32, it was closer to like 20, 30 grand, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and now I, I think it's closer to like double that price. Yeah, I think they're like 50 grand now, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's actually crazy, right? But it kind of goes to show that these cars are very hyped up and like there's a reason why, right? A lot of people want them, obviously. And obviously there's, there's a big value to it. Yeah, definitely. And I think like the history of these cars is what really speaks its value back in the 90s when the car culture was really booming in japan you know these manufacturers like toyota nissan you know mazda was in the mix as well a lot of these manufacturers and you know the engineering teams on these cars they were really trying to outperform each other because at those times you know a lot of people wanted high performance sports cars but they didn't want to pay the high performance price of like a ferrari for example right right so like that's why we kind of seen the birth of you know the Nissan Z, like the 240s, the Datsuns, you know, like the Supras. These cars were twin turbo and they were making just as much power as these high performance sports cars like Ferrari. Right. And they were literally a fraction of the price. Right. Obviously, they did try to like decrease the horsepower numbers so that they could really sell them to the general public. Uh, I mean, in Japan, they, they were really against street racing. Uh, at the time because it it was actually getting very popular it was obviously just a trend uh people used to mod the, these cars out like crazy go drifting uh, obviously illegally so essentially downgrading the numbers of the horsepower so that it doesn't look bad on them right yeah they were underestimating the power basically yeah, yeah. and i think we've kind of seen that nowadays but i think what's really significant is that back in the 90s like yeah. a 300 horsepower car was unheard of yeah unless you're like an exotic manufacturer right right and the fact that nissan and toyota like specifically were able to achieve these numbers is kind of mind-blowing you know yeah from at first generation yeah at first generation especially yeah. and you know even after those cars came out you know aftermarket companies they came on board you know they were developing parts yeah. and doing all kinds of modifications right to increase the power of these cars because that's kind of what people were going for people wanted more power out of them yeah just because of the high price tag of the competing cars and that's also where we've seen the midnight club if you if you've heard of it before mm -hmm. that's kind of where the midnight club comes from you know it yeah. was basically all these all these guys with these jdm cars you know they were modifying them and they were testing all these modifications on the streets um obviously after midnight that's kind of where the midnight club name comes from and that's kind of where we've seen the shift from exotic cars to more JDM sports cars where they right. make the same amount of power for a lot less. Yeah, and I honestly think that like that really changed everything, right? Obviously, there's a lot of basic people out there that still like the exotics. I mean, it's not basic to like exotics, but a lot of the, the real enthusiasts uh, really cherish the JDM cars, right? Even, like, the, even those that really love 
the exotic cars too but enthusiasts in general love both right um obviously we have a mixture of both right like i we obviously like exotics and jdm cars and like obviously euro cars out there as well right but i think the main thing is uh for enthusiasts uh the jdm car is like the the one thing that like no one could really touch and they've made it really big with their cars right they really created the next generation of sports cars there were obviously german cars out there that you know met the two to three hundred horsepower uh you know category but their price tags were crazy and i think what jdm cars actually did was really brought down the the value of those cars because now you can get a 300 horsepower car stock from factory and once you start modding it it's even crazier yeah and i think like even today yeah. even to like today's standards People think that, you know, these JDM cars are really overpriced, overhyped yeah. for what they are. But if you think about it, like back in the 90s, 300 horsepower yeah. was a lot. Like that was a lot of power mm-hmm. to get from a whatever inline six twin turbo. Right. Because at that time, like American muscle cars, they were big V8 motors producing less than that. Like I think some of the Fox bodies were like under 200 horsepower at that yeah. point. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of why we've seen the prices of JDM cars and the value mm-hmm. of JDM cars Right. increased substantially over the past couple of years because people are realizing the potential with the platform and mm-hmm. the aftermarket parts available for it as well. I think the main uh, difference between Euros and Japanese, I mean, you can even see it today. The Japanese cars obviously went for performance. So if you ever want to go like racing or if you ever want to build a car, you characterize that with a Japanese car, right? But when you think of Euro, it's more luxurious, right? You just, you buy it essentially to flex on people, Right. Um, obviously bmw is changing that a little bit now Uh, they're making more like performance cars but at its time bmw were just like you know chill relaxing cars that you would just buy to you know enjoy your evening right you go uh you know drink drink your tea and have some crumpets that's about it right uh that's essentially what you know euro cars were right similar with the porsche right everyone got a porsche but it was essentially to flex on people and I think that's the main difference between the two. Japanese cars really focused on the performance opposed to Euro cars that focus more on luxurious, right? Enjoying your ride. The ride quality was obviously a big thing back in its day. Yeah, and I think what's kind of funny too is that now we're seeing the opposite. Yeah. So we're seeing European cars go for a lot more performance with like BMW's M series, you know, yeah. the Mercedes AMG and Audi's like S line of cars. Yeah. And then we see the JDM cars going more luxurious. You know, they've always had that reliability aspect covered, yeah. but they weren't always luxurious. So we see like Toyota, Nissan, Mazda, you know, all these kind of cars, they're going more of the luxurious route. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the table's kind of turning now too, which yeah. is kind of weird. But at the same time, reliability is, has always been like a concern for like european cars yeah especially now that they're going the high performance route we're seeing their cars are a lot less reliable and in turn is making their older cars more valuable right and i mean it's similar with jdm cars too right eventually cars do die right but when when a jdm car dies right a million people cry uh when a european car not really anyone ca- no one really cares right yeah yeah right um <laughs> I think that's the main thing, right? Because JDM cars are so reliable and they still incorporate performance in their cars that people have really grown fond of them. There are people out there that will swear by Honda, Toyota, Nissan, right? And that's the only th- car that they'll buy, right? Even if they become like millionaires. But those people won't switch over to Mercedes. But those Mercedes guys, right? If they had no choice and they wanted to get a full-up performance build, 
guess what? They're switching over, right? And we can, I mean, we've seen it before. People have like switched back and forth. Euro guys have gone JDM and they've actually loved it more, right? Because the cars don't break as much. The performance is better. And you obviously have something super iconic, right? Uh, that's not going to break at all. Yeah, and I know this is like, it's a very hot topic within the car community. A lot of people on like the Euro side and JDM side tend to clash yeah. when it comes to performance and like reliability, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. One thing that I've seen is that because of the newer European cars, they're going for the high performance, like I said. They're kind of known for not being the most reliable cars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for a while now, actually, maybe like the past decade, I've seen that. And because of that, people are purchasing like older German cars. So like BMW, like the E36, the E46, you know, we've seen those cars go up in value, especially like the M3 variances of it, mm-hmm. because they were reliable cars, even though they weren't the most high performance cars. Yeah. There's still a lot of aftermarket support, so people tend to mod them for performance. That's the main thing, right? Every manufacturer used to build better cars back in its day. They used to have better build quality. And essentially, nowadays, even Euro cars or JDM cars, we've seen them both gone to shit uh, in terms of build quality. And this goes on both sides. We're not pick- picking one over the other. But they've really gone distracted and they essentially if anything's wrong with your car they'll just give you a new one right they don't really care anymore because it's mass production right they rather have like one lemon out of like a a hundred thousand than you know going back and forth and trying to fix one single issue yeah like you said it's mass production like once they start mass producing these cars there's going to be hiccups you know you can't have like every single car be perfect right and i think they kind of realize that too and one thing i've noticed these days a lot of people are being very bold with their design Mm -hmm. choices Mm -hmm. and i think that's why these older cars are getting more praise because they kind of had that more timeless look to them you know these cars like cars nowadays they're very modern very edgy it's very it's for a very certain crowd yeah but like the classic jdm cars classic euro cars they had a very timeless look to them and I think that's why a lot of people are kind of drawn towards them. Not a, like aside from performance, luxury, all that kind of stuff, just the look of the car. We've seen it with BMW, mm-hmm. with Porsches, especially with the RWB kits coming out, you know, with the Supras, you know, people do all kinds of wide body kits for these cars. And I think that kind of adds to the value of the cars, you know, the timeless look to it. And, you know, some cars have performance, luxury, all that kind of stuff. It kind of all just adds to the overall value of the car and why the prices are going up so much nowadays. So moving on, uh, we're going to move on to car of the week. This week's car is a Rolls Royce. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about a Rolls Royce Wraith. And what's special about this car is that it's bag, which is something we don't see a lot on the Rolls Royce platform mm. and any like super luxurious car like this. Yeah, it's one of the most like iconic VIP builds out there. I mean, a lot of people have started actually touching these cars since, you know, someone actually did it in Japan, obviously. And I think after that, everyone really looks at at the Rolls Royce uh, brand in general as it's a pinnacle of luxury and VIP. Um, So I feel like this this car, obviously, I mean, it it doesn't really have much done to it. uh, But just being bagged and put on three piece wheels is what I, every VIP enthusiast really looks at, right? I mean, we've obviously picked out, you know, key features from this car, like, you know, the starlight roofs really got popular. And I think that's that's one of the things why everyone really hypes this car up and really decides to, you know, put it on a really high standard. 
yeah, Rolls Royce, they're definitely like the top of the food chain when it comes to like luxury, probably the most luxurious car out there. And, you know, just because of that, the price tag also kind of reflects that. So we don't see a lot of car enthusiasts really touching cars like this. I think we talked about bagged Rolls Royces in the past. We don't really see them that much, but when we do, you know, they look very, very well done. And it really adds to like the VIP aspect of the car. And this car in particular, it has really nice wheels too. They're three piece wheels. I'm not too sure what kind of wheels they are because this car, it's, it looks like an overseas car. So they're probably like some local wheels or custom wheels or something like that. But they look very, very good on the car. And just overall really does a good job of kind of displaying the car's overall stance and fitment. Yeah, uh, that's the end of our podcast. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We definitely appreciate it. Anyone that has any topic ideas or inquiries, definitely hit us up at Northside Whips on Facebook and Instagram or email us northsidewhips at gmail.com. If you want to check out any of the stuff we talked about on the podcast today, check out the show notes. We'll have everything linked down below, including the car of the week. And once again, thank you guys for listening every single week. We greatly appreciate that. And we will see you guys next week.